Welcome to Sacred and Sequential Audio at the intersection of religion and comics. I'm A. David Lewis. On Saturday, November 18th, 2017, the American Academy of Religion Annual Conference hosted a panel on responses to Muslim superheroes. Here is a recording of all the presentations and the response in its entirety. I think we'll get started. Uh, good morning and thank you and welcome to another wonderful uh, AAR Nationals convention. Um, I'd like to first begin to thank uh, AAR and the Religion and Popular Culture Unit and the Islam Study of Islam Unit and the Sheraton for Hotel for having us. Um, this morning we'll be looking at uh, superheroes uh, with, um, and uh, the book, uh, may I borrow your book, sir? Because I want to yeah. show the book off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Muslim superheroes, uh, comics, is and Islam, and the rep representation. Sorry, I'm a little nervous this morning. <laughs> um, so superheroes with uh, Islamic backgrounds are nothing new. Uh, but their critical study is um, the recent release, Muslim superheroes, comics, religion, and representation proposes uh, how, to, how best to deploy such analysis um, pedagogically, politically, pluralistically, or uh, uh, pervasively and persuasively. Uh, this roundtable considers the book's content through its political context in 2017, its uh, concerns with aesthetics of beauty and spirituality, its observations of such images and loaded symbols, as, you know, e.g. the uh, Nikab's hypersexualized females and violence, and its challenge uh, to dominate Western notions of heroism. This multi-stage discussion will provide uh, an insider's perspective on creating such a public uh, publications as well as a space to explore the popular uh, portrayal, misuse, opportunities, and future of Muslim characters in a global comics industry. Um, this morning's uh, uh, talk will be recorded. Um, however, the uh, question and answer period will not be. Um, this morning, we, I would like to introduce our wonderful panelists. I'll be providing a bio before each one speaks, but I just want to kind of introduce them because they are amazing people. Uh, <laughs> our, our panelists uh, consists of uh, Dr. Elizabeth Cootie from uh, Illith School of Theology, uh, doctoral candidate uh, Muhammad Hassan uh, from uh, Temple University, and Dr. Uh, Constant Kasser from Lawrence University, and doctoral candidate uh, Aaron Ricker from McGill University. And our respondent today, uh, Dr. A. David Lewis um, from the MCPHS. Sorry. MCPHS. <laughs> University. <laughs> um, each speaker will be given about 10 to 15 minutes um, to present uh, their, their, um, uh, their talk. And uh, at the very end, we'll have Dr. Lewis come up and uh, respond to their, their own questions and concerns about the book. Um, we would like to begin with Dr. Elizabeth Cootie. Um, very quickly, Dr. Cootie is 
a doctor, uh, director of the Writing Lab and adjunct f uh, faculty for Illith School of Theology in Denver, Colorado. Her PhD is in biblical interpretation uh, and her research centers on the Bible and comics and the emotional aspects of religious reading. Um, Dr. Kudy, after you. Hello. Uh, greetings from Denver, Colorado. Uh, I am Elizabeth Cootie, and I am very grateful to be here this morning in the company of these great people. Um, so here we go. Uh, by insisting on image with our text, the form of comics gives people who wish to have conversations about complex subjects a great gift that scholars have only barely begun to appreciate, uh, even given the maturing uh, field of comic studies. As a biblical scholar with Christian Testament interests, the imaginative contributions of comics to my work usually means fresh, idiosyncratic, or painfully familiar illustration of an aspect of my text that is otherwise difficult for scholars or readers of the Bible to imagine well. Uh, I, will I will try to allow comics to guide my, guide my imagination rather than appropriate them for a preconceived idea, so too, I am happy to say, do Lewis and Lund in this book. Uh, Muslim Superheroes takes as its imaginative conversation partners comics and Islam. These comics embody, counter, and complicate imaginations, as Lewis and Lund claim in their introduction, quote, engaging and influencing real-world comprehension of this world religion. A worthy goal. Uh, what I'd like to state for this panel is my pleasure at the way this waste this book uses comics and my specific reasons for appreciating this particular responsible use of the form. I'll conclude my brief time with how I hope to take this valuable work into my context. Religion, not just Islam, it has a tangled relationship with comics. To smooth this into a braid rather than keeping it as a tangle, I propose a system of four porous relationships between comics and religion uh, based on Bruce Forbes and Jeffrey Mahan's uh, work on religion and popular culture more broadly. I've schematized it elsewhere, but here I only have time to use it as a method of explaining the usefulness of this collection. The relationship that critical study of the critical study of comics and religion that I've outlined here are one, religion in comics, two, comics in religion, three, comics as religion, and four, religion and comics in dialogue. I'm interested in whether the panel thinks this, the categories are useful uh, to the analysis of critical studies like this or not. I mean it to be porous, but I would like to discuss the holes. First, the most prevalent category of relationship at play in this book is religion in comics. Superheroes are most often at play in comics. To find Muslim superheroes to comics, we must go. I am happy to say that these pieces go to comics willingly and with respect for the form. That is, the essays hold them accountable in a way that understands the form and basic characters, a character of the industry. Uh, for example, in Reading the Veil in Marvel's Dust, Pumphrey points out the way several authors of Muslim heroine Dust repeatedly misname her veil uh, for five years of its writing, while acknowledging that others corrected the mistake, uh, even if they made other errors or mishandled her religion or her femininity. A less careful author of a type I see too often, even in academia, would have simply dismissed Dust 
out of hand, as if the same character cannot be wildly different in different creators' hands. Instead, the authors of Muslim superheroes bring to bear a knowledge of Islamic culture and comics culture. Uh, they take their religion in these comics as true. Yes, some of these comics are written by people that often have what I can only charitably call a passing familiarity with Islam, but the characters and situations they create here are part of the discourse. The comics include the understandings of real people, even if the characters are not real people. Even poorly drawn characters here are treated as if they represent something about the representation of Islam. I wonder if we can take a moment to parse what that means on this panel. Are these characters Muslim? Are there ever Muslim superheroes? The title suggests there are, but I want to push the term. Are there Christian superheroes? Jewish superheroes? Is Superman some sort of Methodist because his adoptive parents are? Or is he Kryptonian agnostic because his birth parents were? Or Jewish because his original authors were? Or is he a chaos magician when Grant Morrison writes him? <laughs> Can Kamala Khan ever lose her religion? The thought makes me sad, but is it possible? Does the character Kamala Khan cohere without her Muslim identity? Uh, the pieces in Muslim superheroes take the religious affiliations of the characters as more or less as read. What puts this book over the top for me is its use of my second category, comics in religion. Rashid's great piece, Truth, Justice, and the Spiritual Way, Imam Ali as Muslim super-hero, takes comic book, uh, comics back to religion. Uh, here we see what a careful new set of virtues that separate Rashid's words super-hero, uh, with a hyphen, from Stromberg and others superhero, all one word, the super-hero, can be valuable to understanding a great hero of Islam. In the afterward, London Lewis spent a little time musing over the place of the, of the piece in this book. Far from, quote, undercutting the premise of the book, I think it takes what are not just 20, 20th and 21st century premises, but religion in comics assumptions and turns them around. That is, the concept of super-humanity has been at play in comics. Why not turn it to a religious context? Uh, this is play, as Jill Deleuze would have it, play that can free us, that can have positive political outcomes. I'd like to know if the panel agrees that this or others are truly examples of comics in religion or not. Does it count as being in religion to interact with a formative story like this in this way, in this academic context? My third category of comics as religion often gets me in trouble. That is, how dare I suggest that comics uh, how dare I suggest comics as religion? But Creel's essay, uh, Navigating Context in the tr Translation of a Muslim Egyptian Superheroine, Kohara here and there, uh, in the Egyptian superheroine in Egypt, gives me pause. This superhero graces the cover of the volume, lovely, there she is, um, and wears her veil neither to conceal nor to project her identity. In this comic, it is simply part of her construction. Uh, the comic is a tool of social commentary, but it is also a text that for the author of this essay is full of winks that the kindly author can begin to untangle and interpret for the non-Egyptian reader. Uh, the comics has insiders and outsiders like our religious community does. I begin to channel Scott, uh, Robert Orsi here a little. The comic itself bears treatment with the care that Orsi would treat 
say, the study of the veneration of a saint in a community, if we treat the comic as religion in that way, we can start to see more clearly the religion in it. There is an art to the study of these images and texts that requires taking seriously the people who participate in them. The faithful readers of a webcomic deserve to be taken seriously by us scholars. The fourth category, religion and comics in dialogue, is comfortably in the air throughout the collection. I am delighted that the book As Muslim Superheroes does does not use superheroes as a type to pursue an already held political or cultural point. It treats them as a real conversation partner. Nor does this work use existing comics to make religious points in the name of characters that have less explicit or no religious points to make. This collection does not dismiss even frustrating characters like Wise Son. Uh, Pruitt reads him as a missed opportunity in, in his essay, The Comics That Hate Produce, representing the African-American Muslim experience in DC Comics. This collection consistently treats comics with respect I mentioned earlier, that is the respect that asks what these comics have to tell us about subjects that they are playing out, subjects about which we as scholars have knowledge, but we must continue to acknowledge loudly this is another type of knowledge, not the correct knowledge, to comics creators' incorrect knowledge. So rather than whence, where now, the Muslim superhero? Given our political climate, there's ever more call for exploring assumptions about each other and our ideological and religious commitments and systems in ever more creative ways. Comics as a source of representation that puts its visuals on its sleeve might be a way to have that conversation. I insist and will keep insisting that scholars pay attention to these pieces and what they say about our topics. Whether they're, they are the place of the Bible in US culture, in my own work, the humanity and understanding of and by Muslim peoples, or the place of women and our right to live and work. Uh, I look forward to seeing the implementation of this book in the classroom. I plan to feature it in my own uh, class this spring, where I hope to be teaching a course explicitly about social justice in comics. Uh, my students are all graduate students at a United Methodist Affiliated School of Theology, Iowa School of Theology, uh, but they have little tolerance for an education that centers them too closely on Christianity without significant dialogue with their multicultural and multi-religious worlds. I celebrate a collection like Muslim superheroes that can present me with just too many options for them to read, and so respectfully hits the angles I like to see in my comics criticism. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, our next speaker will be Mohammed Hassan. From uh, he's a uh, PhD student, PhD student uh, at uh, Temple University in the Islamic Studies and Ancient Christianity. Uh, he is a lifelong fan of comic books and video games, and his research and teaching interests include religion and popular culture, gender, sexuality and queer theory, and martyrdom studies in Islam and Christianity. Thank you so much. Okay, good morning and thank you for having me and thank you for being here. Um, upon first hearing of this project, the first thing that came to mind was that I hope they do gender justice, as gender is constantly the crux of discussion around Muslim 
female superheroes primarily. As a scholar of Islam, Christianity, and pop culture who engages with queer theory, gender sexuality, I hold an avid interest in both the success of this volume and the guidance that it can provide for uh, pursuing further interrogations of this budding field. Uh, the necessity of such a volume stands only in echoing the important works of popular culture mediums across the board, holding accountable the different voices that produce content, developers, artists, producers, and programmers who I will uh, refer to generally as developers. Uh, scholarly assessments of these various mediums, especially in relationship uh, to the production deployment and correctives launched uh, by producers, provide scant, or provided scant and sparsely uh, disconnected readings and examinations of the comic genre. Um, that is, until now. The compilation and dissemination of this timely examination of Muslim co in comics from a variety of interdisciplinary approaches should be lauded and welcomed as an addition to the field of comic studies. Uh, Lewis and Lund's entry provide a much needed first step in bringing together these disparate voices. The collection of religious, uh, media, and comic studies scholars demonstrates outright the author's familiarity uh, with the comic genre and the fami uh, their familiarity with um, and of pop culture discourse. Uh, the combination offsets tasteful uh, or offers tasteful engagement with questions of assimilation, representation, and identity construction that interrogates the way Muslim superheroes act as entertainment with references to the Orientalist exotic are used as correctives of Islam um, and, their rep and its representations to address the place of Muslims in the United States, to provide role models for youth in the Muslim world, or to be exploited and augmented by those using the superhero genre to present Islam as a threat and urge resistance to the Islamization of the West. I enter this conversation as a Muslim cisgendered male, academic feminist, and queer theorist, as one invested in identity construction, both in its real and uh, virtual formats. I hope uh, to speak today about this volume's engagement with the concept of misrepresentations or representations through these gendered tropes of these superheroes and superheroines primarily uh, to propel an ideological agenda of Western imperialism. Uh, I recently delivered a presentation at Temple University's annual uh, graphic thinking conference on a similar issue, uh, women and uh, their stereotypes in comic books, primarily around the veil. And once I finished and my panelists finished, the first question that our students asked um, was whether uh, academics see the way in which developers are deploying uh, Muslim female superheroes and the use of the veil as a form of this new transnational imperialism uh, as a form of cultural warfare. Um, and of course, I didn't have a direct answer, but there are um, possibilities of reading that. Um, and so the, a number of uh, pieces in this work aims to engage with that question. Um, and so it sets out to do this in its progression from local to transnational examinations of Muslim superheroes. Um, it demonstrates how Muslim bodies, primarily the female Muslim superheroine, um, negotiates the tense political atmospheres that exist between Islam and the West. London Lewis say, the US can use Muslim superheroes to write its relationship with Islam, while the Muslim world can use Muslim superheroes to articulate its relationship with the US, and how Muslim superheroes globally occupy a space that is replete with tension and conflict. Uh, Mercedes Yamora takes up this task in Marked by Foreign Policy, 
She interrogates the transnational appearance of Sidera in the 1980s run of Cyforce um, as the American team intervenes in conflicts between the Soviet Union and Afghanistan, and of Davoud's double consciousness and an, as an Americanized other. His masculinity never measuring up to his American hypermasculine uh, superhero counterparts. Sidera is a young female mujahid uh, who encounters belittling dialogue as the writers constantly mark her as an other, inefficient and inferior. Um, and she is constantly compared, of course, to her white American counterparts. Um, Yamora effectually shows that even in the pre-9-11 uh, U.S. mindset, the representation of Muslims on the comic page disseminates a negative image of the Muslim world and of Muslim superheroes. Further, in the 90s representation of Davoud, the creators are careful to show that only a certain kind of Muslim can integrate into American society. Uh, reaffirming social beliefs about the Muslim community. Those who perform Islamic rituals are associated with a violent form of Islam, and that only a secular and thus nonviolent uh, Muslim can be welcomed in America. Both these individuals' genders are under construction by the producers. Davoud presents a neutered Muslim male that can be accepted by Western society, and Sidera maintains the stereotypical symbol of the Muslim woman. No note, however, that she appears as part of a Mujahidin task force um, in a non-traditional non space for her gendered body. Um, also, earlier in the volume, Kevin Warner's reading of Faiza Hussein, uh, aka Excalibur, in and Erm Religious Stuff, raised similar salient concerns of an acceptable Muslim representation. It seems as though Englishman Paul Cornell's attempt to present a careful depiction of, Bris, of a Brit British Muslim superhero in the form of Faiza couldn't go wrong. How could it? He, of course, consulted with a Faiza um, uh, oversight team. That is, he called together four Muslim women and used their voices to construct the typical Muslim woman. Their voices, of course, having to stand in as a representation of what all Muslim women's experiences should be. Um, yet troubles abound, of course. Much as the expectations of a liberal and secular Davoud, the veil continues to define Faiza as, her, as a Muslim woman. For five issues of her appearances, the only indication, aside from her, utter, uh, her utterance of the phrase Allahu Akbar in issue number three, is that she's peaceful and that she never, she's never seen without a form of veil on. That is, she's always in the hijab. Further, her presentation is carefully constructed so as to ensure that she is presented as normal, identifiable to the reader, and that her religion remains within the sphere of what liberal British society views as legitimate and salutary. Uh, before 9-11, these relationships were predicated on the veil and its deployment as a symbol of oppression and a marker that automatically designated one a Muslim. In the volume's opening chapter, Niqab, not Burqa, Nicholas Pumphrey reads the misrepresentations of the Burqa onto Dust's body, where she dons, where she actually wears the abaya with a niqab veil. Uh, he artfully outlines the reproduction of stereotypes around the veil, but also demonstrates his familiarity with the comic material, the multiple identities and iterations of Dust as a Muslim superheroine. He doesn't point. Uh, he does point out that Dust, with Dust recreation. The reader is introduced to a stereotypical caricature of a Muslim hero, in contrast to a stereotypical depiction of a terrorist. Uh, a terrorist, I'm sorry. Of course, replacing one badly written plot narrative for another. The development of Dust's character from mislabeled and backgrounded to one who becomes a prominent X-Man 
and Ethical Compass, an embodiment of various Muslim women's experiences from 2002 to 2015, begins to mirror the real-world growth of American social and political understanding of the diversity of Muslim women's experiences. While a thorough analysis, her, uh, analysis of her depiction and her veil, uh, it is what continues to define her status as a Muslim. There is little critical engagement with her stereotypical uh, power or the uh, automatic assumption that she's Muslim simply because she's wearing a variation of a veil. Um, furthermore, very little is said about the underlying narrative of this brown woman being saved by the liberating uh, American X-Man Wolverine. One would think that Dust is incapable of defending herself against a few Taliban attackers um, if she hadn't moments before it flayed her attackers alive. Misrepresentations such as these abound throughout the depictions of Muslim men and women in the graphic form. In another chapter, of course, Dwayne Pruitt is keen to recollect the amazement of Muslim blogger, blogger Jahan Zebdar as he laments the complete lack of realistic portraits of Muslims and Arabs um, in the comic form. As London Lewis note, of course, Muslims in comics is nothing new, nor are Muslims or Arabs uh, or Arab heroes. Rather, what is new is di the differential depiction of them as realistic and palpable and not terrorist. Um, I would take a step further to say that complex female Muslim bodies depicted more truthfully and realistically to the Muslim woman's experience is a novel move within this form, but not necessarily a careful one. As with Dust's depiction, the comics themselves undergo a growth in their representation of Islam, as the authors in this collection are careful to note. Knowing that characters can die, be remade, rewritten, and reborn, the authors understand the power of correctives initiated by producers as they grow with the Western perception of Islam and use it, whether capitalistically or as organic results of genuine interest in producing realistic, nuanced representations of an audience um, or market for an audience or market clamoring for content on the page to consume. And thus the proliferation of multiple uh, multi-dimensional Muslims, such as uh, those of Al-Mutawa's The 99 and Miss Marvel's um, Kamala Khan, rather than stereotypical images can only be welcomed. However, the underlying subtext um, and reproduction of Orientalist leanings and an un underlying imperialist agenda still remains unexamined. These heroes now stand as a token Muslim woman and a couple men, uh, splayed out across the comic pages for readers to not only fetishize, as Dust is unveiled in the House of M series on, uh, to the benefit of the white male gaze, uh, but also to act as relatable characters for Westerners to embrace and internalize um, in the hope of either rejecting or accepting Islam. It is on their backs that assimilation to Western read American culture, palpability, and uh, presentation of Muslims and Islam rests. Once again, we see women doing the work, showing up and bearing the burden of identity politics in the 21st century both on and off the page. I would love to hear your thoughts on this and the question posed by uh, my audience mentioned earlier. Uh, and lastly, the issue of transnational complications arising from depictions of female superheroes is representative of a kind of respectability politics. What is acceptable Muslim vote on our page and in um, sitting next to us on a bus, for instance, uh, but instead of this, we should be interrogating, interrogating why it is so easy for producers to use women as their mediums uh, to propel 
um, a palpable Islam to the Western world um, on these comic book pages. Is it because of the orientalizing post-colonial perspective of Muslim women as inferior and thus susceptible to Westernization and assimilation? Or is it a further move by the producers to show that they too are saving Muslim girls by showing them that they can be liberal and accepted as Kamala Khan's character has been in the comic world amongst academics in this volume and in larger comic consumer circles um, by aspiring to be like Carol, Can uh, Carol Danvers, the original Miss Marvel? Or is it simply, as Yonora hints at, that the male gaze dominates the choice by male producers and gendering their representation of women as sex objects for the primarily male readership allows them to sell copies? Is it that women's bodies sell, or is, it, is there something more afoot? Would these superheroes be as appealing were they uh, drawn or represented as men? Were Miss Marvel a 16-year-old Pakistani-American cisgendered Muslim male, would he garner as much attention? It seems not, since so few studies uh, focus on the maleness and construction. Uh, so few studies focus on maleness and construction of masculinity present, uh, present in these comic pages. The issue is not treated head-on, unfortunately, and the little comments on this are reserved for the editorial remarks. Um, I will stop there because I think I'm on. I have a paragraph that I can Please. interject. Thank you, sorry. Um, and lastly, I uh, want to raise some concerns over the compilation of the text as a whole. Granted, Lewis and Lund do note that many heroes had to be left out of the conversation and that the editor's difficult choice to present a balanced approach in addressing the task that they viewed as pressing for the compilation at the time. However, I wonder if the space allotted for the multiple representations and readings of Kamala Khan, this is Miss Marvel, um, consumed too much space, space much needed to unpack the inherent Islamophobia, for instance, of Faustin's The Infidel, or to diversify the female superhero focus that seems the primary unintended focus of the volume as a whole, or to unpack directly the gender of these heroes as performing, consolidating, and challenging heteronormative assumptions of masculinity and femininity. Further, when I think of the task Lund and Lewis set for themselves, I can only recollect in theory the beginning of video games and religions as a functional field within the academy. I think here of the first volume on the topic, Halos and Avatar, which established and assembled a study of a number of video games from different perspectives. They also included academic voices, but um, the developers themselves and players most often. The inclusion of multiple voices from all arenas of production made these initial studies successful. Thus, I hoped for a similar move on the part of London Lewis. Unfortunately, the scholars in this volume are primarily just scholars. Some do hold titles, as Frederick Stromberg does, as a founder of the Comic Arts School in Malmo. Uh, but the remaining religious and comic scholars' readings uh, would undoubtedly benefit from entering into conversation with the producers of these comics themselves. It is very clear that these scholars are versed in reading through the media studies lens and approaching these artifacts as literary texts needing analysis. However, I am left with many questions. I am left to wonder what next. Many young adults in their formative years consuming these images are not reading these texts we're discussing today. Um, what effect does possibly reading only one of the storyline story have on the young Muslimah struggling with her place in Western society that fetishizes and mislabels her veil? 
What about young Muslim men who only see neutered male images or uh, feminized images as the only form of acceptable male representations in mainstream comics as the Buddha exemplifies? Might they benefit from the inclusion of more Muslim voices in both the analysis and the production of these characters? Might an Islamic studies scholar benefit, benefit from engaging with the authors in Muslim superheroes? Uh, now that they have done this initial work, it is up to us to think of what the outcome of this would be. What are the appropriate forms for such engagements? Would producers, consumers, and academics even benefit from such a forum? What effects might it have on the future of representations of Muslim comic characters? And of course, we see this as an opportunity, opportunity to unpack the relationship uh, between Muslim f uh, female superheroes have uh, with Islamophobia in the West in a specialized forum. Maybe this moment will spark Islamic studies scholar to engage more with the graphic form and engender a new mode of representation that is both ethnographic and literary. Uh, with this volume, the possibilities are endless, and I thank uh, our editors and their contributors for being the impetus for the many possibilities that lay bare for scholars and producers alike. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Dr. Uh, Constance Kasser, uh, and she is from uh, the Assistant Professor of Religious Studies at Lawrence University in Wisconsin. Her research and teaching interests include uh, Tibetan Buddhist thought and issues concerning textual authority in religious traditions. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. Um, thank you for inviting me to be on this panel. I have no idea what I'm talking about, so um, I'm just going to say that from the beginning. I'm used to hanging out with the Buddhist philosophers at the AAR. Um, so Muslim Superheroes states that it, quote, seeks to investigate the ways in which Muslim superheroes embody, encounter, embody counter, or complicate Western stereotypes of Muslims. And it does this in terms of three wider aims. It outlines the diversity of Muslim superheroes in comics. It answers basic questions such as why are Muslim superheroes created and for what purpose? And it considers the extent of Muslim superheroes' impact on audiences. Today I'd like to refer to a couple of chapters in this book to think broadly about why and for what purpose different kinds of Muslim superheroes are being created and why we're beginning to see more and more rigorous scholarship on them. So I have to admit, I'm a relative newcomer to the whole world of religion and comics. A student introduced me to this field a couple of years ago, and I'm thrilled to see that the scholarship presented in Muslim superheroes and other venues is being taken seriously. That being said, I think that my own relative lack of familiarity with religion and comics stems from the fact that my primary academic area of interest is in Buddhist studies. The whole time I was reading Muslim superheroes, one thought kept recurring again and again, what about Buddhist superheroes? So a, a search of the comprehensive online comic book religion database uh, reveals some statistics about the presumed religious lives of heroes in popular American comics. As might be expected, most of the heroes um, who are affiliated with a religious tradition are Christian. There are 523 of these in all in the database. Jewish heroes, number 161. The number of Hindu heroes in the database is only 29, 
But this excludes the pantheon of figures that you see in the Indian comics, like Amar Chitra Kata, which are being increasingly popular in America. But what surprised me looking at this database was the number of Buddhist and Muslim superheroes, or at least heroes, figures that were identified as heroes in this database, was roughly the same. Uh, there were 67 Buddhist heroes and 65 Muslim heroes. So if we have the same number of Buddhist and Muslim heroes, why don't we see equivalent scholarship about Buddhist heroes? Now the answer is probably obvious to most of us. Since September 11th, 2001, Islam has been at the forefront of the American imagination, for better or for worse. As Lewis and Lund indicate in their book's introduction, post 9-11 responses to Muslim characters in comics has been exaggerated at times on both ends of the spectrum. Ms. Marvel, for example, has been criticized with language too Islamophobic to warrant repeating here, and simultaneously praised with such universality as to imply that Kamala Khan will single-handedly and permanently change every American's perception of Islam forever. As Mercedes Yonora's chapter marked by foreign policy indicates, Muslim superheroes have come to carry what she calls a particular political currency due to wars and other conflicts with the Middle East. As Muslims have continued to be represented in comics over the last several decades, <coughs> excuse me, um, Yonora argues that Muslim superheroes and the spaces in which they operate have started to become normalized. Portrayals of Muslims are becoming more nuanced, more human and more realistic. And we see this um, argued in, in different places throughout the, throughout the book. So in other words, as Islam continues to occupy a prominent space on the global stage, non-Muslims are becoming increasingly familiar with Islam in its various forms. As Ken Chitwood's chapter, Hero and or Villain, highlight, um, yeah, sorry. Ken Chitwood's chapter, Hero and or Villain, highlights these trends by focusing on the diversity of characters presented in the 99. He argues that this comic, quote, positions Islam as a multivalent religious repository that resists essentialization. The diversity of heroes presented in the 99 reflects a multifaceted view of Islam and emphasizes that there's no singular monolithic way to be a Muslim. Chitwood frames his discussion of the 99 in terms of a borderland or a third space, a place in which religion and popular culture or ideations of Islam and Muslims collide, converge, and interact. The characters in the comic, he argues, are both hero and villain, hidden and manifest, historically grounded, and yet strikingly modern and young. Islam is similarly presented as a hybrid of seemingly opposing characteristics, resisting any kind of essentialization. Chitwood provides a number of examples from the 99 to illustrate this point. One such example is the character Nora, who has the ability to manipulate light to hide her companions when necessary and to, quote, see the light of truth in others. So this chapter describes a scene in which Nora is running through city streets in the United Arab Emirates, seeing certain people shining with light and also blotted with dark spots with, which represent evil. She sees dark spots on people including her own father, as well as on objects, most notably on the minaret of a mosque. This complicates representations of Muslims and Islam in the 99, showing that there's light and dark, or good and evil, in everyone, and even within Islam itself. The 99 has been received both 
positively and negatively by Muslims and non-Muslims alike, but Chitwood argues that any attempts to essentialize the message of this series are fruitless attempts to, what he says, simplify a hybrid work to either or notions of religion, politics, and social expression. Islam, the 99 shows us, is complex and complicated. So these chapters and others in Muslim superheroes demonstrate that portrayals of Muslim comics um, and Muslim characters in comics is increasingly complex. This general trend is what allows for Muslim superheroes to continue to be created and what makes for such fascinating and really intriguing scholarship on the topic. Islam is something that non-Muslims are finally beginning to acknowledge and understand and Muslims are finally being broadly regarded as normal people with divergent practices, personalities, and national origins. So this is something that allows for more interesting Muslim characters to exist in comics, even given some of the problems that other folks on the, on the panel have highlighted at this point. Now, Buddhism, on the other hand, is not really something that non-Buddhists have much reason to pay attention to. So representations of Buddhist heroes in comics continue to be relegated to broad stereotypes. Many so-called Buddhist heroes are embarrassingly confused with respect to their religious identities. <clears throat> Again, if we look at the comic book religion database, many of the heroes who are labeled as Buddhist are also identified with other religious traditions. So multiple man is Episcopalian slash Buddhist. The question follows objectivism and Zen. Um, and perhaps most notably, Wolverine is labeled, quote, raised Protestant sometimes atheist, has practiced Buddhism, and spiritual seeker. So many other seemingly Buddhist heroes do not actually engage with or believe in Buddhist principles. Instead, they're presented in terms of broad, sweeping generalizations of things that seem kind of Buddhist, involving vague connections to martial arts, mysticism, and the Orient, um, whatever, whatever that means. There are some notable exceptions to these trends, such as the 40s pulp hero, Green Lama. Um, he's an American who spent 10 years studying Buddhism in Tibet, and he turned to a life of fighting crime after his attempts to spread the Dharma to Americans failed. <laughs> but these kinds of characters tend to be the exception rather than the norm. So the borderland, or the third space of the 99 that, that Chitwood talks about, stands in stark contrast to similar borderlands constructed by the few comics that exist with explicitly Buddhist themes. So for a point of comparison, I want to briefly consider um, the Japanese manga Saint, Saint Young Men. This comic doesn't involve superheroes per se, but it does feature Jesus and the Buddha who serve as the heroes of the story. So they're taking a vacation from their heavenly duties, sharing a rundown apartment on the outskirts of Tokyo. They struggle with regular roommate stuff. The Buddha is a neat freak who's always making sure that they have enough money to pay rent. And Jesus, who has become an up and coming figure in the blogosphere, is a compulsive spender. As one might expect, the two religious leaders in disguise have adventures around Japan and religiously themed hijinks ensue. So what's perhaps most surprising about St. Young Men is the irreverence with which it handles its main character's religiosity. The series is not making fun of Christianity or Buddhism. Rather, it uses certain tropes in these traditions as punchlines. So when visiting a public pool, for example, Jesus accidentally turns the pool's water into wine. Um, at an amusement park, when the Buddha is upset about waiting in line for two hours to, to ride a roller coaster, 
Jesus cracks jokes about the Buddha's former ascetic practices, telling him that two hours is nothing compared to the years he spent wandering half-naked in the forest. There are also a lot of running gags about the Buddha's long earlobes and his halo spontaneously appearing whenever he does something kind. So this is kind of a flattened representation that we see of Buddhism. Um, we also see a flattened representation of Buddhism in the short-lived DC character Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. Raised by monks in a Himalayan lamasery after his missionary parents died of the Black Plague, Cannon studies the ancient scrolls and learns to unlock the 90% of his brain's potential that ordinary people don't use. This character, who was created in the 1960s and experienced a brief revival in recent years, represents a grossly oversimplified version of a non-existent Himalayan Buddhist tradition, complete with stereotypes reminiscent of 19th century British Indologists. Compared to the complex representations of Islam in the 99 and other recent comics <coughs> featuring Muslim characters, St. Young Men and Peter Cannon Thunderbolt present simplified flat images of Buddhism involving basic stereotypes about Buddhism being vaguely associated with peace and meditative asceticism. There are no comics, to my knowledge at least, that portray the differences between, say, Tibetan, Japanese, and American forms of Buddhist practice, or which allude to very real instances of Buddhist violence. Lewis and Lund conclude Muslim superheroes by noting that comics is a hybrid medium, and that superhero comics specifically allow different cultures, values, and power structures to come into contact with each other in productive ways. It's my hope, therefore, that Muslim superheroes is just the beginning of an ongoing and productive discussion about the roles of religion and religious representation in society today. Hopefully, at some point, Buddhists will want to join the party, too. Thank you again. Um, our next speaker will be Aaron Ricker. He is a PhD candidate at uh, McGill uh, University in the field of New Testament, uh, Test Testament studies. Um, he's been studying comics and religion uh, for a long time, and he got the bug uh, uh, in this field when he took part in A. David Lewis's uh, Graven Images conference back in 2008. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the bugs. <laughs> I am very flattered to be invited to uh, help launch our discussion of Muslim superheroes. Uh, I was appropriately impressed by the generous research that shared in the introduction. Uh, I was successfully convinced that studies like this are urgently necessary when I witnessed the venomous nonsense that exploded out of media critic Debbie Schlussel when she found out Ms. Marvel was going to be a Muslim woman. Uh, the minute that I witnessed Schlussel reduced to vomiting like that, just babbling real hate into being a hater, uh, the whole game uh, changed for me. It was like I'd been bitten by a radioactive internet troll. I was instantly 200% more interested and more invested in trends like Muslim superheroes and books like Muslim superheroes. So well played, Lewis and Lund. Uh, in the volume's opening essay, 
Nicholas Pumphrey addresses the problems of representation and visibility raised by the depiction of Dust, a superhero who wears a nika. Uh, I, for one, would have liked to have heard a little bit more about the representational problems of her power being the ability to turn into a sandstorm. That sounds a little bit to me like, okay, this X-Man is an Inuit guy, okay? So naturally his codename's Frosty, and his mutant power allows him to turn into 50 distinct kinds of snow. <laughs> of course, I'm only assuming that I'm supposed to assume there's a person of color dimension, because I was told Dust is from Afghanistan. And because reference was made here and there to the gaze of white male readers, I don't actually know what she looks like. Uh, I can tell you more about her uh, veils than about her Muslim face or her Muslim body, which is probably worth noticing in discussing discussions of uh, representation and visibility. And it certainly points to something more serious for me, maybe than the sand thing. Um, the reader isn't referred to any images. Um, I therefore don't know quite a bit about her. I don't know how uh, what I read about her works out on the pages of the books that we're talking about. Uh, does her depiction as veiled or sometimes revealed to the reader alone uh, or as a sandstorm? Does that do invisible woman things? It would be germane to a discussion of women in comics and visibility. As Pumphrey's reader, I don't know. Um, ignoring the image on the page is, of course, a common and dangerous habit in comic studies. I have certainly been guilty. Uh, my analyses of what comic books are doing, you know, they can sound like the reviews of a film uh, critic who's maybe only read the scripts. You can't really tell. We don't want to sound like that. Uh, unfortunately, this very normal, very bad habit um, does continue uh, in Muslim superheroes as the volume unfolds. Uh, when Kevin Wanner's piece on Faiza Hussain delivers an extremely on-point, extremely valuable discussion of how depictions of Muslim superheroes are stuck with uh, majoritarian liberal standards of good religion versus bad religion, uh, Wanner gives little uh, attention to the presence of uh, uh, visual cues. We see some, apart from what you know, we find out in speech bubbles or whatever. Uh, we still don't get any analysis, though, of details like, I don't know, panels or pages or the deliciously stinky, cheap printed matter that we have in our hands. You know, we just get descriptions that, for all we know, could have been drawn from scripts that the creators uh, came up with. Uh, in fact, until the last contribution, nobody reproduces an actual page or panel for the reader to consult. Uh, something else that holds noticeably steady until the very last essay, is an interest in the question of Muslim superheroes conforming to some kind of majoritarian cultural consensus, right? Uh, versus Muslim superheroes resisting some kind of majoritarian cultural consensus. Uh, the next piece is by Chris Rain, Shikuma, and Disfray, and uses some very welcome, very enlightening publishing history details to understand how the Muslim Miss Marvel landed in France. Uh, this piece argues that Ms. Marvel is not an assimilationist work in the way that it depicts her religion as a cool cultural and personal thing that supports cool shared public values. It feels a little jarring to try to follow that argument though uh, because the piece doesn't address uh, the question raised so clearly and pointedly in the essay that I've just finished reading. Uh, depicting religion as cool if it stays in the hero's private or cultural sphere, 
while serving social values that are depicted as universal, doesn't that itself amount to a warm, fuzzy honeymoon with majoritarian liberal consensus ideas about what religion is, uh, how religion should be expressed in public, what religion's really good for in the end? Uh, Duane C. Pruitt contributes next a very useful piece on how the comic book face of Islam was for a long time black. Eventually, though, a more liberal dynamic, quote-unquote, took hold, wherein difference of color is good and important, partly if it's not too important. And once again, religion, in this case Islam, takes a parallel course in the wise son stories. It's good and important, mostly if it's not too important in the wrong way. Uh, it's good in a personal way, cultural way, and its values should be assumed to be universal, right? Um, next up, Mercedes Yonora gives some valuable welcome attention to how the depictions of good Muslims relates to American foreign policy, not just depictions of bad Muslims. Uh, once again, uh, I might have liked to have heard more about uh, the, the comics themselves. You know, what should we make of the fact that you know, there are crosses marking the graves of good Muslims, for example? Uh, liberal ideas of good versus bad religion also, once again, show up. But they, they get away without too much interrogation um, in discussing the home life and public face of the hero, uh, Davud Nasser, who, quote, does not practice his religion overtly, end quote, but is rather a hero, and the hero just happens to be a Muslim, right? Uh, the heroism of Ms. Marvel is praised in a parallel way as being, quote, unquote, unhindered by Islam. Yeah, it's, the heroism is unhindered by Islam. Uh, at this point, the weird feeling that I mentioned above about, you know, good religion, uh, conforming to certain liberal ideas, it's getting kind of intense for me as a reader, right? This is the third article in a row where it looks like the author maybe didn't read something very relevant that I just read, like uh, uh, maybe uh, a couple essays before them. I'm starting to feel like the kid at the play who's yelling at Little Red Riding Hood, look behind you. Look three articles behind you, to be precise. Uh, Frederick Strumberg chips in to discuss genre in superhero comics from the Middle East, and he gives careful attention and useful attention to the tradition of comics being educational. I didn't know that. I was also interested in the failure of Teshkil comics to conform to the superhero genre's habits of regular main event battle royal violence uh, and the hypersexualization of women. Uh, when Stromberg notes that AK comics were intended to express universal values, though, I wish once more that Wanner could just fly in for one crossover cameo. And when Stromberg mentions Coogan's ideas of the superhero as somehow politically tame and pro-social, uh, I wonder if this couldn't usefully be related to the depiction of proper religion and proper Muslims as conforming to these uh, majoritarian liberal values that I've been talking about. Uh, when Ken Chitwood arrives to discuss hybridity and the post-colonial idea of the third space, um, and it, it amounts to neither the colonizing culture, right, nor the colonized culture, I now wish everybody that I had just read had started with something about this. Maybe they could have all said from the start, okay, these comics are all, always, necessarily hybrid in nature. 
There will always be these swirling eddies of negotiation, yeah, and the evaluations of critics like us will always be situated judgment calls, right? They'll be about specific roots and fruits, the way that Lewis and Lund say in the conclusion. Uh, there's no question, right, of conforming versus not conforming per se. Um, I don't want to smell like the party pooper or the panel pooper, but it seemed to me that the contributors to Muslim superiors, either they didn't have that talk or they just didn't bother to go back and work it into their interventions, their individual interventions. Either way, I think it, I think it hurt. Uh, in the very next essay, for example, when Amon Kryal explores a very tangled kind of universalism in the Muslim superheroic, uh, superheroics, excuse me, of uh, an Egyptian woman. Uh, this kind of frame would have really helped clarify things, maybe, and guide them. Uh, for Krell as the critic, and for me, too, as, uh, as the reader. Uh, the last essay, Hussein Rashid's, is, as I mentioned, the only one to incorporate images. And even then, the analysis is not so much about how it works on the page, but more about the uh, narrative progression. Uh, Rashid also discusses comics about a traditional Muslim super-hero, but not a comic book Muslim superhero. Uh, he doesn't show directly how one phenomenon is going to relate to the other. Um, Lewis says in the conclusion that he himself has done work like that somewhere else, and that's good, but then it made me wonder why Rashid didn't engage that work a little bit here, or else maybe go join Lewis there, where they're working on that. Uh, the conclusion did nail down some things for me, though. Uh, for example, in what I thought was a great point about Muslim superheroes somehow needing to be female if they really want to sell. Uh, interesting, given what, you know, what, what scholars of Orientalism have said about you know, feminization and so on. Um, the notes on teaching using comics are also solid and appreciated. Bravo, editors. Um, I found myself wishing that ideas like the potential for teaching, organizing concepts of hybridity and all that, that were provided by Lewis and Lund, I wish that they had been uh, digested and engaged head on more by all the contributors, instead of being kind of bookended. Um, those are the things that, that really grabbed me, and I look forward to hearing uh, about what everybody uh, else was grabbed by. And I want to close not by complaining, but in congratulating everyone again, sincerely, on what I think is a good and necessary kind of project. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you to all of our panelists. We will now be moving to our respondent, Dr. A. David Lewis. Uh, Dr. Lewis is a college educator and religious studies scholar most recently co-editing uh, Muslim Superheroes with Martin Ludd. Uh, he is also the co-editor of Grave and Images, Religion in Comic Books and Graphic Novels, as well as uh, Digital Death, Mor uh, Mortality and Beyond in the Online Age. Dr. Lewis is also the president of the Comics for U Youth Refugees Incorporated Collective, a nonprofit currently aimed at creating free comics for Syrian refugees, children, refugee children uh, from their native folklore. Uh, he's also the founder of Sacred and Sequential. Uh, he has been featured in the Boston Globe, Publisher Weekly, Bostonia, on the WAMU's uh, Interfaith Voice, VH1, 
and Boston's uh, NPR affiliate WBUR. His current project uh, projects are writing the new adventures of the first Muslim superhero Kismet, Man of Fate, for publisher A Wave Blue World, and research on his follow-up to the Eisner-nominated uh, superhero Afterlife, namely uh, a manuscript on cancer and comic books. Um, can we please welcome him, uh, A. David Lewis. Before I begin, let me thank both the Religion and Popular Culture Unit and the Study of Islam Unit for electing to host this roundtable on Muslim superheroes today. My thanks also go out to the Ilex Foundation, Mizan, Michael Predjil, my co-editor, Martin Lund, and Harvard University Press for their efforts in publishing the collection. Finally, let me express my appreciation uh, to today's excellent speakers and their commentaries. You are all too kind. You are all too kind. This is what I struggled with in crafting this response. I spoke with Martin, now back overseas, about my reservations about how I felt criticism and engagement with the book should be pushed further. He quipped, I'm going to leave you to plot our revenge for people's appreciation. <laughs> I also consulted with Rachel Wagner, author of Godwired, and beautifully, brutally honest in public and scholarly spheres alike. She said, Maybe there's something about this topic that makes people be tentative. Is it our political climate making people scared in some way to say something? I considered that possibility. My postmortem of Muslim superheroes, the final column for Mizan Pop's year-long lead-up and coverage of the book, was entitled Muslim Superheroes Arrives in the Age of Trump. It may have been a long time coming, but there was a distinct shift in the political and cultural landscape of the United States between when Martin and I first envisioned the book and when it was published. It took many of us, perhaps the most privileged of us, greatly by surprise. It took me by surprise. So. No, I don't see Elizabeth, Aaron, Muhammad, or Connie as scared. Not at all. They were, perhaps even worse, polite. <laughs> the worst thing we could do with Muslim superheroes is accept it outright. Reviews may be positive for it. Some libraries may order it. Conferences, such as the American Academy of Religion, may address it. All this is to the good. To leave it as is, however, untroubled and undissected, is as good as burying it. Or, to put it on the shelf, its spine never cracked. The best way to honor it, I believe, is to test it as fully 
and mercilessly as we dare. First off, too many questions remain unanswered. Why are female bodies the most common carriers for Islam into the superhero genre? Would greater interaction between the contributors during the revision process have benefited Muslim superheroes in terms of consistency, or might it have homogenized it? Why might our contributors have been particularly reticent to include panels and images from the works analyzed? Why did we need no screen images today? Where are the Muslim creators and professionals for this genre, most of all? How can Muslim superheroes and their discussion settle into a comfort zone during a period of extreme political abnormality? Less than a half year after the book's release, it is too soon for Muslim superheroes to feel normalized. Ms. Marvel has been absorbed into the Marvel Comics pantheon at a record speed. You can already play or manipulate her as part of the Contest of Champions phone app or the Lego Marvel video game. Simon Boz, likewise, has been dropped into a buddy space cop series with nearly all the rough edges of this Green Lantern shaved off of him and streamlined for maximum warp. The 99 have been smothered by Saudi muftis and Kahera has gone silent. In the conclusion to Muslim superheroes, Martin Lund and I suggest looking at the work overall less as a book and more as a tool. It was meant, as we saw it, as a scholarly and pedagogical instrument to open up lanes of discussion, to disentangle confused histories, and to connect wide branches of inquiry across cultures and across disciplines. It was a tool designed for one purpose, to clear a space. It could be a space for interdisciplinary engagement, a space for, Connie, irreverence, a space for interfaith pluralistic dialogue, a space for genre blurring or Islamic intertextuality. We have tried to set a table. Now, who's coming to the feast? And what hot plates are they cooking? Rachel asked me another question. What should the future be for criticism of this kind? It genuinely surprised me how quickly I had an answer. Simply, new comics. Muhammad asks the same thing, namely, what's next? My personal fear is that what's next is Muslim superheroes being a throwaway citation in various papers and articles over the next decade, a shorthand for saying, Islam and superheroes, yeah, it's already been done. What's next, I hope, is a fight, not a bloody or hostile one, 
but a game of one-upmanship where bolder and more sophisticated Muslim characters arise in the genre. We need a struggle over what the Muslim superhero is, what it can be, and what it should be. Islamic scholars and comics prose need to connect and fuse their respective knowledge into a new wave of unignorable characters. Comics, especially the independent market, remains a cheap fringe medium, and superheroes are still, at heart, an all-American fantasy product. To cede this space to Disney, to Warner Brothers, to Hollywood, or to Amazon, or to Netflix, would be worse than anything Charlie Hebdo has ever published. It is not normal to have Muslim superheroes. That is why they can still have power. I am not ashamed of Muslim superheroes, and I cannot begrudge my colleagues for being so embracing of it. It is a noble effort. It is a first step. Perhaps it can even be regarded as a foundation or jumping off point. It is also a dull tool, a blunt instrument, and we have to sharpen it. Thank you. Today's music was provided by Simon Mathewson from the album Circuit. My name is A. David Lewis. Stay connected.